What's up, guys? Welcome inside another episode of Controversial Call. As always, it's your host, Jason Gandhi, and joined by my co-host, Charlie Duffy. Charlie, how are you? Good, man. I'm about four days into kid number two when we're recording this here on May 19th. Um, it's not going super well all the time. There's a lot of sleepless nights so far. But other than that, we're locked in. We're ready to go. Yeah, as someone that has negative experience with children, I, I hope it, it gets better quickly. But from what I've heard, I don't think it's going to anytime soon. I think that's kind of how it goes, right? I think once we just got to establish a little bit of a rhythm and then we'll get into it and we'll be better. But it will take a little bit of time, yes. How's the wife feeling? A lot better. She's able to sleep um, when allowed now. No, no more heartburn. So we're good there. Okay, good. Things are back in order slowly but surely in the Duffy household. That's what I like to hear. So today, obviously, based off the title, we are going into the Indianapolis Colts and the Houston Texans, two teams that, I guess, one team that's severely underwhelmed in the Indianapolis Colts. They were, you know, a lot of people thought they might win the division. A lot of people thought they could be, be a sneaky playoff team with Matt Ryan. And then the Texans, who I think everybody knew was going to be somewhat of a dumpster fire, I guess would say similar to the 2023 Arizona Cardinals, the way we're outlooking them. was kind of how people looked at the 2022 Houston Texans. So two very interesting teams now kind of in a very similar position where 12 months ago, you they probably couldn't have been more further apart. Now they do look more similar than different. So Charlie, I guess we'll start with the Colts here. And I guess I'll throw it to you. You were lower on the Colts than maybe I was last year. Talk to me about what your outlook was on them going into the year and then maybe where that was confirmed going into 2022 as it wrapped up. Yeah. So I just wasn't super high on Matt Ryan. I think that anytime a team is willing to part ways with a franchise quarterback, one of the all-time greats in their own organization, if they're willing to part with them for as little capital as they did, that tells you a lot. And I know the Falcons were in cap financial hell and all that stuff. And so it, it did make sense for them to move off of Matt Ryan at the time, but you look at their roster where the Falcons were, where they had Kyle Pitts, they had Drake London, you know, that now they've got Bijan. Like they could have been, a much, much better team if they had a guy like Matt Ryan, if they thought Matt Ryan was still that guy. So when they were willing to just move off of him, I kind of, I just wasn't, wasn't all that invested in him um, based on kind of what the Colts have been doing for the last, you know, four or five years since Andrew Luck retired abruptly, you know, it's a tough situation to be in. Obviously you don't think you're, um, legendary quarterback in the middle of his prime is going to just up and retire in August uh, right before a season starts. So like, I understand you go through it a little bit with the quarterback situation, but I just, the offensive line was the strength of the team last year or going into the year. And I, that's just, it's kind of like your defensive take where you think defenses are a lot more come and go as you know, sometimes they're really talented and then the next year they just don't produce Sometimes I think that's how offensive line play is like depends on how healthy you are. It depends how on how cohesive you are and all that stuff. And I just I just saw regression coming that that's all I can say about that. Yeah, I mean, going into really what happened this year, it was the offensive line. Obviously, Bernard Raymond's kind of played as had to jump in and play right away with injuries and other things. And I think he played better towards the end of the year, but he, he was fine. Nothing crazy, but wasn't good by any means. But I mean, the biggest 
not question mark, but I guess I, the biggest issue that I felt like last year was that offensive line where Quentin Nelson didn't play like he used to. He wasn't that Pro Bowl, all pro guard that you just could slot in and you knew what he was going to get. He struggled. And then Ryan Kelly, who also is a little bit older now, struggled. So I think those two were really the big reason for why you saw that offensive struggle. And yes, Matt Ryan showed he was unable to move in the pocket. He had lost a lot of his arm strength and was just not a functional quarterback. They were also a dysfunctional mess with the whole Jeff Saturday thing with the with the owner tweeting out stuff. Like it was just, it felt a lot like the Raiders. Honestly, it felt like the Oakland Raiders of old and the Las Vegas Raiders, where constant dysfunction, constant issues, and just was a mess. We say all that to say, I think we both would say the Colts put themselves in really good position to be successful going into this year. Maybe not from a win loss record, but from at least from a foundation standpoint. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think that they shored up a lot of the issues that they had in the on the depth chart and they got a head coach in that's an actual NFL professional coach, unlike Jeff Saturday, who, you know, God love him. He was great for the Colts when he was a player and he's a high school coach, but that's what he is. Uh, I don't know that he was ready to take on the challenges of an NFL roster, especially one that was going through the turmoil that they went through last season with, with Frank Reich being fired. So I do think that, they did do some really good things that I think will help them in the long run. Um, and and who knows, like it, it all depends on Anthony Richardson. They could be a team that we're looking up on wildcard weekend and they're hosting a playoff game. So it's, or they could be right back in the top 10 of next year's draft class. It all depends on Anthony Richardson. Yeah. So let's talk about Anthony obviously is a very polarizing prospect. He struggled with the accuracy, but in terms of the, the traits and, the flash stuff. He was probably the one of the most fun prospects to watch all in all of the draft. And obviously he lands in Indianapolis at 1.04. I guess where where would you put the expectations at for Anthony Richardson in year one? Are you expecting him to have, you know, one of those careers where it's Joe Burrow and he's coming in right off the way and you can see, okay, he's one of those guys. Or where do you think his expectation level should be at if you're a Colts fan listening to this? Since I know we have a lot of indie listeners. Yeah. So I I think that my expectation is that he won't open the season as a starter. If he does, I think that means he showed a lot in camp and that that would be a really big bonus for the Colts and their fan base. I do think once he comes in, he's going to kind of play like Jalen Hurts did his first year in Philly, where he played, wasn't always lighting up the box scores, but he was making some winning place he got he got stuff done on the ground he you know i could see it where he's averaging about 70 rushing yards a game but only 150 passing yards you know kind of like what justin fields has been doing up in chicago the big thing is richardson has a lot more playmakers around him so it won't take as much for him to kind of carry for lack of a better term the colts offense because he does have some more certified weapons and a much better offensive line than Justin Fields has had in Chicago the last handful of years. Yeah, I mean, he definitely has more weapons than Justin Fields. Let's not get that twisted. But I don't, I don't know. I'm not sold on the weapons that the Colts have. I love Jonathan Taylor. I think he's a stud. I think this is a really good year if you're a fantasy owner. I think he's going to have a really good season because the Eagles style of running game with a decent offensive line should go well. I love that. My concern is the receivers. I don't look at Michael Pittman maybe as high as everyone else. And I just had this discussion with Matt Wanger, obviously friend of the podcast, because he just went, uh, Michael Pittman just got traded in our dynasty league. And it was being talked about all day. 
And me personally, I don't think he's as much of a not star because I don't think anyone's playing there. But I don't think he's a wide receiver one. I just don't. I think this is now year what four for him entering year four, and I just don't think he's proven enough to show he can be the number one in offense. Now, I did like the Josh Downs draft pick. I know you and I both did. I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, it could make this offense maybe take another level. But at the same time, the tight end's room is weird. Jelani Woods, Mo Cox, it's an odd room. Both are kind of these like prototypical freak athletes, which I know that's that's Ballard's thing is he likes the freaks. But at some point, you've got to have a reliable weapon. And like, you know, it's funny when I think about this team, I always think about five years ago. It's like you almost just need that T.Y. Hilton and like Jack Doyle, where you just know you're going to get first downs and you're going to move the ball. I feel like the, the whole offense feels very boomer bust. And that's that's a fun part to be if you're a Colts fan, but also like I think there's gonna be weeks where maybe you're playing the Texans and you think you're gonna win by twenty one where you might lose seventeen to seven. And Anthony Richardson throws two picks, rushes for a touchdown, but looks bad. And like that's part of the growing pains I think that's gonna come with it. So I love Anthony Richardson as a prospect. I did in the draft, I do where he landed. I think with Steichen it's best case scenario. But at the same time, I don't want to get these expectations on him. I don't think he is a generational prospect where he's going to come in and take the Colts to the playoffs. I think any playoff talk of the Colts is genuinely a little too rich for me. I would love to be wrong, I guess. I'd love to be the guy that everyone's like, this guy said the Colts are going to suck. I'm not necessarily saying that. I'm just saying temper your expectations. I think this is Jacksonville's division to lose. I think there's a chance Tennessee's a better team than the Colts. And I think there's even a chance that Houston, if things are done the right way, could outperform Indianapolis this year. So it's funny. I know pre-draft, I like Richardson. You hated Richardson. And so you'd think, you know, I'm going to be all in. But I feel like you're almost higher on the Colts than I am now. Well, part of that is you mentioned Steichen there, and we didn't really do a great job of prefacing that at the beginning. But Shane Steichen, first-year head coach of the Colts, he has worked with a guy like Anthony Richardson in Jalen Hurts over the last two years. And we saw the improvement that Jalen made from last year to this year where if he didn't get hurt late in the year last year that, you know, we might be talking about MVP Jalen hurts. Um, and so that's just one of those things where like, I, I think he landed in a really good spot as long as the owner can stay off Twitter for long enough to figure out how to just run a football team. It's like our former president. It's, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, we're not, we're not getting political on this uh, podcast. That's not our purview. So, but I do think to your point with Michael Pittman, yes, I don't think he's a true number one wide receiver, but he would be an overqualified number two. He's kind of like T, like a poor man's T Higgins out of that same draft class where I think that Pittman's a really good player. I mean, he has 185 catches for 2000 yards and 10 touchdowns the last two seasons. And that's with you and me playing quarterback in some of these games, right? Like he hasn't yeah. had a consistent uh, quarterback in most of his career. And you look at it, and if they get back to their solid offensive line play and they're able to run the ball, there's a world where Anthony Richardson's only asked to, especially with his prowess in the run game, where he's only asked to throw the ball 20 to 25 times a game. And a lot of it will be off of play action, will be easy reads, will be making the game as easy as possible for him. And you talked about T.Y. Hilton and Jack Doyle. And just because Michael Pittman's a wide receiver doesn't mean he can't be like Jack Doyle, where you just knew sure. third five Jack Doyle was getting open. He, he wasn't the flashiest player. He wasn't going to go average 18 yards a catch. He wasn't going to go post 17 touchdowns in a season. But you knew third and five Jack Doyle was going to be open. 
And that to me is Michael Pittman, where he's never going to put up these flashy, gaudy numbers in terms of yards per catch or longest catch of the game or whatever it is. But third and three, third and seven, you know that that guy is going to put himself in a position to be open and make a play. Alec Pierce on the other side is a great 50-50 guy, which will help with with Anthony Richardson's uh, inaccuracy issues maybe early on. And then we talked about Josh Downs a little bit. They get him in the third round. He was comped. I saw a lot of boards where he might fall into the late first round, you know, middle second round pick. They get him all the way in the third round. So I think that he's a really uh, tantalizing prospect. Reggie Wayne loves him. Um, You know, he was one of the guys that he pounded on the table for. So that's where I'm at is I didn't like Anthony Richardson if he was at the top of the draft and was supposed to be the savior for a franchise, but because the Colts aren't that far away from being, even with the Rocky quarterback play over the last couple of years, they're kind of a playoff staple and the roster is good enough that I think that Anthony doesn't have to come in and be the savior right away. He can just be an upgrade over Sam Ellinger and Nick Foles and guys that saw starts last season. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. And it's funny, I always forget about Alec Pierce. For some reason, like, he just doesn't register because, like, I feel like he was a second-round rookie that didn't do anything very much last year. So you just kind of, like, forget he's on the team. So, I mean, Pittman, he, for me, is very similar to Brandon Ayuk and, like, Quentin Johnson, where they're bigger body guys, but they're not the prototypical big body, go get 50-50 balls. Like, they are the rack underneath, drags, crossers, all that different stuff. Like, that's what that's what Pittman his, his strong suit is. And so like, I agree. I think that's a good way of putting it. I think he could be almost that safety blanket in a unique way for Anthony Richardson. Then you've got downs and Pierce to maybe take those shots. Cause I mean, you saw Richardson, he's willing to take the shots at Florida and he can make them. He's got an incredibly strong arm. So I'm not out on the Colts offense. I think it's just maybe a year too early. I think this could be something where they show flashes and they look really good, but year two is where like, I can already see like, all right, I'm buying the Colts. The defense also scares me. I know we don't have to talk too much time about that, but I don't think this defense is at all what it used to be. Yes. DeForest Buckner is an absolute stud. I don't want to even have that debate. He's incredible. Miss me with Shaq Leonard. I don't know. I've never been a huge fan. I think the injuries are catching up to him. Obviously he's a little bit older now. I mean, he's not super old, but like getting up there and, I just think there's a chance we're talking about the Colts defense. Like, I love Gus Bradley, Raider legend, like just Legion of Boom, do the whole thing. I'm all in. But like in terms of the personnel, I think they have more weaknesses of defense than maybe we're talking about. I agree with that. But I do think that they addressed a lot of that in the draft by getting a lot younger, especially on the back end. I mean, they drafted Darius Rush, Julius Brents, Nick Cross last year. You know, they're really investing in the back end with younger talent. And I do think that you know, I'm expecting a big third season from Quiddy Pay. I was high on him. He's kind of disappointed on the edge uh, the last couple of years. I know he came into the league with a little bit of an injury issue out of Michigan, but hopefully like he's healthy now going into year three. That's a pretty big year for him. Hopefully he gets on track. You know, he's, he's a guy that has 10 sacks in two seasons. Maybe he can get to where he's pushing for double digit sacks this season and you know, all that, all it takes is a little bit of a tweak here and there. You know, I know you're out on Shaq Leonard, but he's, a, he does force a lot of turnovers. And that's something that for a defense that maybe doesn't have a ton of top end talent, if you can take the ball away, if you can get sacks on the edge with guys like DeForest Buckner, I know he's more of an inside presence on the, on the pass rush, but Quiddy Pay on the outside, 
you get some sacks, you get some third and longs, you get some takeaways, you know, that kind of steamrolls and there's some momentum there where that can help a, a younger offense. Yeah, I just – I guess this is my thing. Let's look at their projected starting 11 right now. There's not one guy on there that they drafted in the last two years other than Rodney Thomas, who was the last pick in the 2022 draft. Obviously, Quiddy Pay's on there if you go back to the three years. Him and Deo – I always forget how to say it. Deo Odeyingbo – I don't know. I'm not a Colts fan. I wouldn't know. But I know who I'm talking about. I can picture my guy when I'm talking about those two guys if you go back three years. But in the last two years, this past recent draft and the year before, it's not like they have – plug-and-play absolute starters, and that's because they drafted Anthony Richardson at 104 and Alec Pierce the year prior at 2.53. So Julius Brents, you hope, maybe can step in. I know Kenny Moore has talked about potentially getting cut in the preseason – or not preseason, in the offseason when, when they were going through like roster cuts for cap hits and all of that, but they ended up bringing him back. He's there as of now. So I just – they don't have – Yes, they've made a lot of like later-round investments, but they haven't had a ton of top-end investments – in the defense recently, and Quiddy Pay has disappointed. I know you like him, but at the end of the day, he hasn't been what everyone expected as a first-round pick. And I mean, he's it's it's a prove-it year for him for sure. In year three, if he doesn't do it this year, I think he's being talked about as being cut in year four, and that's just realistic. I mean, I think you said it: ten sacks in two years, so it's just not enough from your starting defensive end. So, I mean, I don't know. Is there anything else you want to hit on the Colts? We talked about the owner. We talked about the quarterback. We talked about the defense. Anything else we're missing on this twenty twenty-three outlook on the Indianapolis Colts? The only thing that will really hold them back outside of if Anthony Richardson isn't the guy that you would expect out of a 1.04 draft pick. It's just they don't have a ton of depth either. I mean, we talked about that they don't have a ton of high-end talent on defense. That also means that they don't have a ton of high-end backups. And so if there's some injuries, you talked about Shaq Leonard, DeForest Buckner's getting a little older. You know, the defensive backfield is pretty old outside of the rookies they drafted. So unless those rookies are plug and play starters that are consistent playmakers, there's just not a whole lot of depth on this team. You look at the wide receiver room. We talked about Pittman and Pearson Downs already, but then you've got guys like Ashton Doolin and Isaiah McKenzie. They're fine, but they're not game changers. And so I just don't think that they're going to be a team, not most teams can't, but they're definitely not a team equipped to play at a high level if if they run into some injuries. So, you know, I, I that to me is a big issue. But, you know, we'll after that, we can kind of move into the Texans, another team that doesn't have a whole lot of depth, you know, but they're a team that you talked about at the top of this podcast no prospects for being good last year. Like they were always in the mentions with the bears and with the Seahawks and some of those other teams of, okay, who's going to be the worst team in the league. Who's fighting for that Bryce young CJ Stroud pick. And the Texans were always top of list for that. And it showed in how they played three 13 and one they're on their 27th head coach in four years. And here we are, but they did a pretty good job in the draft of at least getting some guys like we'll talk about what that trade was to get Will Anderson, but they went and got some guys that are kind of put them on the poster board guys that, you know, give you a little bit of life, a little bit of excitement. First year head coach, D'Amico Ryans. What are your first thoughts on the Texans? Yeah, I think you put that really well. We talked about it. They did everything right to get the first pick in the draft until Lovey Smith went and beat the Indianapolis Colts on week 18 and 
unfortunately, it gave the Bears the first overall pick, which led them to trading the Panthers. The rest is history. So who knows? Maybe the Texans would have loved to have Bryce. But at the end of the day, they have C.J. Stroud. They managed well. They had to pay that 2024 first-round pick that I know we've talked about on previous podcasts that I think was a little rich for me. So I think it makes for a big year this year. They clearly believe that they're ready to win this year, at least enough to make it worth trading that first-round pick. Obviously, in his first year, Domingo Ryans, it'll be very curious to see what he brings to this team. I think, if nothing else, he brings culture. And I think you see that with the way that he coaches. The defense rallied around D'Amico in San Francisco and was absolutely phenomenal. In his two seasons, his defense was second in points allowed, second in the yards allowed, fourth in defensive efficiency, fourth in yards per play, and fifth in defensive EPA. Absolute top five across the board. Now, San Francisco had a hell of a lot more talent than Houston does. They made some good free agent signings on defense. They brought in Jimmy Ward, obviously nine seasons in San Francisco. We know what he is. They just signed Shaquille Griffin. They brought in Christian Kirksey. They have Jerry Hughes, who's been there, now going to turn 35 here shortly. But they have all those veterans and Denzel Perryman. Sorry, I can't forget my Raider legend. But then they paired that with Jalen Petrie, Derek Stingley, Will Anderson, obviously, and Christian Harris. So they have this really cool defensive unit that's half young, half old almost, and you blend that together. I think there's a chance that Houston defense really can overperform in year one, which turns it to the offensive side of the ball. That's where all my questions go. We have a first-year offensive coordinator in Bobby Slowick who was with San Francisco, came with them last year, and sorry, I'm at a softball term. I don't know if it's that audio picking up at all. Perfect. There's some laughing in the background. As long as you guys can't hear it, we're in good shape. Um yeah, so Bobby Slope, first-year offensive coordinator, comes from the Kubiak-Shanahan tree, zone-blocking, West Coast offense, quick passing. Obviously, all those things are super, super great, and we'll see what happens. But it all comes down to their quarterback, C.J. Stroud. Houston doesn't have a ton of weapons. This isn't one of the teams that's got the best offenses with all these different weapons. Yes, they made some moves. They went and got uh, Robert Woods, which I thought was interesting. That was almost the perfect signing, I think, for me, if you can get Robert Woods to buy in to mentoring those young guys. Obviously, John Mechie coming back from leukemia, and what a story that is. And then drafting Tank Dell. You match all those things with Nico Collins. And a guy that I think sneaky to keep an eye on, just I know we don't need to get too down to the woods, but Xavier Hutchins. Sixth-round pick. I thought he had more of a third or fourth-round grade. He's a guy, if you're in a deep fantasy league where you just need a flyer, you got a taxi squad, Xavier Hutchinson. Keep an eye on him. I just want to remember the name. That's a guy that I think could make a lot of sense for this Houston team. Whatever. My summary of this is Houston doesn't have a ton of weapons on that offensive side that are proven right now, which makes the learning curve for Stroud a lot higher. The one silver lining in all of this was Damian Pierce looked like one of the best backs in football when he was healthy and when he was a starter last year. You complement that with Devin Singletary, and now you've got a rushing offense that could make a lot of sense behind an offensive line that's obviously spearheaded with Laramie Tunsil. They drafted Kenyon Green last year. They brought in Juice Scruggs, and I think a sneaky underrated signing was Shaq Mason. He was really good in Tampa. They're now going to give – they gave him an extension. Now he's he's solidified here in Houston. Houston's a really, really fun team. I think this is a team that I'm almost buying all in on as the quiet team that surprises people. It feels a lot like the Lions. The Lions were on hard knocks last year where it's culture, it's sneaky veterans that are playing better than you expect, and all it all streamlines to one essential question, which is what do you have in the quarterback? Only the difference is they have their young guy. I love Stroud. I don't know. I feel like when we do these podcasts, when I break myself, walk myself through them, I'm like, do I love every team in the NFL? But this is a team where it's like they're like my second or third tier. Like, I don't love them, but I like them. And they're a team I want to keep an eye on. I don't want to overlook Houston as as an Arizona or a Washington. It's like, ah, oh, you don't need to watch them this year. I think they're worth watching. They're worth monitoring. So I think they have a chance to be really, really sneakily good this year. Yeah. So, I mean, 
that was a lot of information there. So I'm going to yeah, try to kind of ran through that. You just forgot that I was, you know, your co-host there for about 18 minutes there. Uh, my bad. No, Bobby Slowick. I, it'll be interesting because he does come from the Shanahan Kubiak tree where it's a lot of outside zone, which I think fits Damian Pierce's game really well. But then there's a lot of play action. And I think that's what will help with CJ Stroud is CJ is one of the most accurate quarterbacks in this draft, if not the most accurate. He's a great play play distributor. I mean, that that was kind of the knock on all those Ohio State guys, right? Is they they come in from Ryan Day's offense and guys are just running open all the time. They've got five-star receiver after five-star receiver just running wide open because Ryan Day, Kevin Wilson, now head coach at Tulsa, can really draw them up, right? Get those guys wide open. That's kind of what the Kubiak-Shanahan tree does, is it it relies on the run and makes pass plays look like run plays, run plays look like pass plays, all that stuff to make it as easy as possible for the quarterback. Now, you mentioned Robert Woods. I think that's a sneaky good signing, not just because he can be a mentor, but he's a really good inline blocker too. He's good in the slot. And you think about like Juwan Jennings' impact in San Francisco, where he's he's great at doing the dirty work, great at you know digging out an, an outside linebacker or something like that in that outside zone scheme, but can also kind of work the slot, get open, go get those tough yards. I think that's what Robert Woods can really do. And he can help. Tank Dell. I mean, Tank is a smaller wide receiver, 5'8", 170 pounds, but he's a speedster. And and maybe that, you know, Robert Woods can help teach him some of the ins and outs of being a tough slot receiver that can really help him thrive. And then you're looking at, you know, I know you, you mentioned some of these wide receivers, but there's two or three years down the road, you're looking at a wide receiver core that could include Xavier Hutchinson, Tank Dell, and John Mechie. That's a pretty good young trio for not a whole lot of high draft capital. I mean, John Mechie, the highest drafted player of that group in the second round last season. So I don't know. I You said it kind of yourself there where when you kind of go through this, you can talk yourself into a lot of these teams. And I, and I wonder if that's just because there's so much talent in the NFL. It's It's almost like the NBA where you're looking at like the league pass rankings or something and it's there's 28 teams that you're like, yeah, if they're on, I'll watch them because they've got this guy and this guy, and this guy's kind of cool too. And all you, know, you can talk yourself into, if things go really well for the Texans, you know, they stay healthy. Some of their rookies produce maybe a little bit better. You look at, you know, you talked about Derek Stingley and Jalen Petrie on the defense. If they take a second year lead, all of a sudden, like this team could be competing for again in a division where we think it's Jacksonville's to lose based on the fact that we didn't think the other three teams were going to be very competitive, all of a sudden, like, maybe the Texans are a tough out. Maybe they're a team that every single Sunday they show up, they play hard for D'Amico Ryans, and they're, you know, a team that in week 15, 16, we're talking about, could they play spoilers? Could they get, you know, if they if things break the right way, are they backing themselves into the playoffs? And that's, like you said, when you trade your first-round pick next season – that's what you're hoping for is that you are a playoff caliber team. That's the problem. If they if they had their 24 first, I think this would probably be my number one team to watch out for in 2024 because they're a year early like the Colts. And that's what's funny about the way we take these division orders. I know that was more you than me that picked them, but we picked two divisions. They kind of have this front runner at the top that we maybe don't super believe in. Like, I mean, we like Jacksonville. Don't get me wrong. But like that still has question marks. 
But then you've got these teams below it. Like it almost feels like these two are kind of wide open. Where if you do the NFC East or the AFC West, yes, they're open and you can talk yourself into the Cowboys or the Chargers, but like the Chiefs and the Eagles are the two best teams probably in football. Like, let's not talk ourselves crazy here. Like this makes sense. Where I think these two divisions, like the Jags and the Vikings were kind of surprises for lack of a better word this year, which means there's room for regression. If that's the case, that means there's room for another surprise. So it's a kind of fun division where, yeah, everybody but the Titans I'm talking myself into here. And even with the Titans, when we were talking through it, I was like, well, the schedule kind of breaks. Maybe if they can stay hot with Vrabel. Like this division, I think, is wide open. I think when there's divisional games here, like if I was someone that had to pick the games, like I would stay away from these because I do not know who's winning Texans, Colts, week, whatever. I don't know who's winning Jags, Titans. Like it's tough. And this division's a lot of fun. I think it's been a lot of fun breaking it down. Before we wrap this up, Charlie, I know this is like part two, so we're kind of putting it all together. Maybe I'm putting you on the spot. You don't want to put this out there, but May 19th, what's your prediction for the order? If you had to put it all together, where do these standings kind of line up at? Yeah, that you are putting me on the spot here because I'm having to make some bold predictions here. But I do think the Jags will win the division because I do think they have the most talent, especially at the most important position on the field at quarterback with Trevor Lawrence. And then second through fourth, it all just depends on, you know, how quickly are the Titans moving to Will Levis? How quickly can Anthony Richardson, how quickly do we find out if he's capable of playing quarterback at a high level at this stage, at this level of football? And then CJ Stroud, how, how much does the IQ scores and all that, all that stuff that all that junk that went on in the pre-draft process to kind of hurt his draft stock? Is that real? Was it a smokescreen? What is it? So if if I'm going to go out on a limb here, I'll say the Jaguars win the division. I'll say the Titans, they're going to finish third, Colts second, Texans fourth. But the all, I think all the second through fourth can all make a really good case for even winning the division, but definitely finishing second. Yeah, no, I love that. And I think where I'm at is I think I'm going to go Jags one. And it's funny, I feel like I'm almost talking myself out and end of things as we go. I think I'm going to put the Colts second. And I only say that because based on the forecasted win totals of week one through six only, the Colts have the eighth easiest schedule. So what that means for me is that gives Richardson time to learn and time to grow with maybe an easier offense or easier defense that they're playing. If that's the case, he gets comfortable, then you can kind of snowball your way into things. If you can start off in the first six weeks, four and two, let's say three and three even, now you just kind of have to stay afloat. You don't have to come back from a one and five deficit to push your way back up. So I think I'm going to go Colts second. I'm going to go the Texans third. And I'm going to trust my guy. I think the Titans are fourth. I think the Titans are due for major regression. I think they're going to hit rock bottom. So I'm going to go Jags, Colts, Jags, Colts, Texans, Titans. That's where I go here on May 19th. And this isn't our predictions episode. We're going to get back into this in July and August where we really give them. But that's where my gut is right now when kind of breaking through these four rosters. Charlie, any other last thoughts on the AFC South as a whole? No, I mean, we talked about it in the love-hate episode of the draft recap where this is just exciting, this division. This is probably the most excitement that's been around it in a long time just because all the quarterbacks are so young and you still don't know. Trevor Lawrence, we've talked about where he's probably a top five or six quarterback in the AFC, top definitely top eight to nine in the NFL. We still don't know what we're getting from him. We still don't know, can he take it to the next level and be an MVP-level quarterback? Is he a guy that when he goes against Patrick Mahomes in a playoff game, we're not like, oh, shit, like you looked overwhelmed in that game. 
we don't know what his next level is or if he's topped out already. And then with these three teams all potentially turning to rookie quarterbacks at some point during the season, it's just a lot of fun to watch those games. And as a Indiana resident that gets all the Colts games every single Sunday, it'll make it a lot more fun when it's like, okay, Colts Texans last year with Matt Ryan against Davis Mills, miss me with that. Like that's when I'll go do the grocery shopping. I'll put in the degree. I'm out. I'm not watching football. But now when it's, you know, any given weekend, it is Will Levis against CJ Stroud against Anthony Richardson against Trevor Lawrence. Like those are exciting matchups. So I do think that, you know, we didn't structure these episodes, the, the schedule of this in any real type of way. But it turns out super awesome for us that we get this division right off the play, right off the draft, where expectations are higher for every single team now. And so it's kind of we got to capitalize on that a little bit and talk about why each fan base has room for optimism and reason that they could reach the playoffs. And, and that's in in the middle of May. That's what you want as a fan. You want to be like my team can make the playoffs. And I think every team in the AFC South can say, we have, this is our path to winning the division, which puts us in the playoffs. I couldn't say it better myself. I completely agree there. Thank you guys so much for listening. Like I always say at the end of every episode, please like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We've got a lot of fun stuff upcoming here. Obviously, you just heard of Colts Texans that wraps up the AFC South. We've got the NFC East next. We've got Eagles, Cowboys, Giants, commanders we got some nsc qb rankings we got a lot of stuff upcoming here in the month of june so please continue to listen send it out to your friends keep trying to grow this thing if there's something you want us to talk about let us know because we have tons of time to get more stuff in so charlie good luck to you your family baby number two everything like that and we will be back next time on controversial call thanks so much guys